Welcome to Mom Fashions, an honest discussion about the beauty and burden of motherhood. I'm Emily. And I'm Beth. And we hope these next few minutes encourage, inspire, and remind you that we are all in this together. This is Mom Fashions, a Fort Worth Moms production. Episode 39, What Is It Like to Be a Black Mother? All right. Hello, Mom Fashions listeners, and Happy New Year again. We're still in January, so I feel like saying Happy New Year as much as I can because I'm trying to bring back the happy to this new year. It is like what I'm hoping for in 2021. Today, Beth and I are hanging out again, and we have a new friend and a special guest with us today. Her name is Stephanie Broadnax Broussard, and uh, she is a mother and a licensed clinical social worker. I'm going to get and and a certified advanced palliative and hospice social care worker. She is the director of palliative care and social work at a large oncology practice here in Texas, and she also is a therapist in a private practice um, counseling and consulting agency. So, wow, Stephanie, you are an impressive lady. (laughs) Welcome to Mom Fashions. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. We um, mentioned that you are a mom. Do you want to take just a second and tell us a little bit about like your motherhood journey, your kiddos, your family? Sure. I love to. Um, So I am a mom. I have the honor of um, being the mother of two beautiful boys, um, an eight-year-old Corey, who is my little professor, we call him. He's into all things science. If you want something put together, maybe, or taken apart, he's your guy. Uh, He's really into robotics and that kind of thing. He's so fun. Um, And then we have our three-nager, Corbin. Um, he is a ball of fire. He loves all things sports and he's so funny. Um, and it's just an honor to be their mom. I'm married to my husband, Corey. We like those C's here. <laughs> um, so, uh, and it's, it's great being, um, the lady here in my tribe. I, I, it's an, an absolute honor. So we love to talk to boy moms because Emily and I are both girl moms, actually. So I have three girls. Um, My oldest is nine and then five and three. So I get the three-nager thing really well. (laughs) And then Emily also has two girls. So anytime we get to talk to boy moms, we're like, tell us what it's like. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes, my girls are um, nine, almost 10, which is a big birthday. And my youngest just turned six. So we have kids all kind of, you know, in in those kind of similar years. So, okay, so Stephanie, we are wanting to um, have a conversation with you. And um, Beth and I have done a several episodes on the issues of like diversity, wishing other mothers maybe embraced diversity more for, I'll just selfishly say, the benefit of my my own children. Um, Beth and I, interestingly, both have transracial families. 
Um, so my family is a mix of um, uh, black and white people. And Beth's family is a combination of white and Asian and there are other a whole uh, lot of other things yes yes <laughs> yes um like I can't remember to list them all yes um, they're all <laughs> equally wonderful and so we've had lots of discussions about what it is like to be a mother to children who don't look like us and how we have encountered differences than than we experienced growing up as white girls and turned into white women and turned into white mothers. And so we want to have this conversation um, like with you to not only help us learn better as women, but also to learn better for the sake of our children. Um, and, and then like just to learn better as members of our community. And so I'm, I want to just kind of ask the blanket question right out of the gate. What is it like to be a Black mother? Um, exhausting. I'm, and I'm going to be completely transparent. Ooh, so for I your listeners it. today, yeah. um, if anyone knows me, that is kind of where I try to be. I find myself trying to be my most authentic self and where I feel like we do our best work is when we show up and we're honest and able to be comfortable. And so I will be honest, it's exhausting. Um, not just because motherhood is exhausting, right? It's right. rewarding and it's beautiful. Um, but to have these beautiful boys that I know are so capable of so much and wanting to see all their dreams um, fulfilled and see all their potential, um, see them walk in all of that, but then also be equally burdened by the fear of perception of what they are or who they'll, they grow up or misunderstandings about their character just because of what they look like or um, raising them the balance with trying to um, figure out how to empower them and embolden, embolden them, but also prepare them for a world that will not necessarily receive them. Um, and maintain their innocence and and all of those things at the same time is absolutely exhausting. Yes, I can relate and understand like yeah, with what with what you're saying um, in in my own way of parenting, you know, to black girls. Um, but for me, that realization didn't come until I became a parent of two black girls and then it I still probably would say isn't fully realized right like I am just sort of encountering this and understanding it as they grow um it wasn't something for me as a child like I don't have a frame of reference of how to do it yeah because I didn't I didn't have to do that as a kid right and so um like I can on some levels like relate to what you're saying, but I know that your frame of reference and like your understanding of it is way beyond what, you know, I can comprehend. Kind of talking about like you as a mother, like what do you wish was different for you as a mother? That's a, ooh, that's a, a 
a tough question, but I think if I were to look at um, what I would want for my children, per se, as a mother, I think, you know, some of those concerns I wish we didn't have to face. I wish, you know, I could just worry about the coming of age things that are natural, like lifespan, you know, development um, and um, things that come with aging. Right. And I feel like when we as a mother of two little black boys, um, I wish I could just focus on their character and equip them with everything they needed to be successful people and know that they would be received well. But that's not reality. Um, so I wish I could do everything I knew to give them access to information and educate mm-hmm. them and support them and allow them to flourish and 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 that be all they need to, to do well and be safe. So what do you think, even as like young kiddos, in how you've seen as being a mother and walking through that, what are the ways that you feel your boys aren't received? You know, I think we are in two parts. Um, I think we're blessed to be in a community that I feel like um, from what I can see on a day to day, they are not subject to, you know, um, ill treatment or um or harm. But one of the things I think is that I don't know when that moment will change or when someone will come into Mm -hmm. our community that thinks differently or when they'll be exposed to someone in a store or anything Mm -hmm. like that, that thinks differently. And so, and I don't know every neighbor personally. Right. And so um, I have to prepare them for that. For example, um, one of the things that I think is, is um, we, we were at a private school before this year. um, And my son had been in private school since he was one. Like we, it was an early child center and we kind of just grew up there and we loved the environment. And then I realized um, I am a history lover by, by nature and also an, a social worker. So I'm an advocate by nature. Um, and I early on before becoming a social worker, I thought maybe I'd be like a civil rights lawyer. Like, so that's kind of my lens. Right. And um, we had an issue where I was, you know, we were we were doing some education about a particular area of history and my son shared what he learned at school mm-hmm. his delivery may not have been the best right. um I'll just he be honest pass, he just, though. <laughs> listen he's, he's his mom's kid so I, yeah. I his delivery may have been you know um but rather than be uh challenged for his delivery he was challenged on the message mm-hmm. um and the message was accurate mm-hmm. um and yeah. so um it was basically kind of like where the message didn't fit you know, right. they don't need to know that that's not, but that's the truth. And so anything right. that we share with them outside of what's the truth um, is harmful to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he started developing these micro um, thoughts or perceptions about who he was or his ability because he wasn't seeing um, leaders that look like him outside yeah. of President Obama. Because, you know, his age, all he knew, right, was that a black man could be president. But we talked about other areas of history and other things. And his perception was that those things didn't apply to him or weren't accessible to him. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have we done? How did I not realize that this was like, I needed to be more intentional about how we shared messaging with him about what he's capable of or what he has or what our culture has done or what we contribute to the greater society. Um, And so we, and he was about six when this happened. And he also started seeing, um, white is pretty and Mm -hmm. the features of white as beautiful and didn't like his hair. 
Oh, girl, we could talk for days about. And he's a boy, so I can imagine girls. Yeah. Oh, there has never been a person like in my older daughter's life who's about to be 10 who has ever looked her in the face and said, you are less valuable. Like she has been adored and loved when she was two weeks old, when she came home, right? There's never been any of that. Never been anybody to look at her and just say, you are less than straight on. Never. She's been in loving school environments. We have a loving family. But still, as young as, like kindergarten, her saying to me that peach was the normal color. And I'm like, uh, and then I'm just like, wait, I'm sorry, what? You know, and, and that was a realization to me. Okay, all these things in our world set her up to believe She's not normal, right? You said something that like, when we don't tell the true story, it hurts your son. It hurts my daughter. But I also argue it hurts the white son and the white daughter too, right? Because the white girl going down the Barbie doll aisle at Target is also getting a message. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, And so we are trying to like unwind that and untangle that as much as we can you know and that has increased in complexity and sophistication as our kiddo gets older and you know we have had a summer where we've had a lot of sadness about the texture and style of her hair like the culture does play a part into that because there are these subliminal messages from the hair commercials, from like pop culture about what kind of hair is most desired, you know? And I think that's, that's the thing. I think one of the things that's so interesting to me is that literally in like currently right now, it is still against the law. It is not against the law to to fire someone for the status of their hair. Yeah. So like the Crown Act literally is still not full legislation. You can still fire someone based on, and I I have dreadlocks and this is a podcast, so people don't know that, but um, I have locks. I don't call them dread, but context, I try to make sure that people know what I'm talking about. Um, But I have, I have locks in my hair. And before I had locks, I had a big Afro um, and would do all kinds of things to manipulate it, which is the beauty of our hair. Oh, it's wonderful. I, I love my daughter's hair and I'm not like saying that I can, I can do two things with my hair her hair I can do a million I'm like you don't even know how good you've got it but when society says that that is not beautiful that that is not okay that that is not acceptable or that's not professional then you have the notion that you aren't okay that it's not appropriate that um and then also um the challenge of what's respectable or 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 polite or or attractive, the standard is set by, you know, white America about what that is if we don't expose our children to different. And and that's kind of where I was going as far as the story about my son is that one of the things I identified quickly, my husband and I as parents, is we have to take the education about his love for himself into our own hands. And if we are not intentional and deliberate about it, the narrative that he'll create about who he is and what he is and the value that he brings to his world will be written by other people, whether they say a word or not. His rule wasn't directly saying he couldn't accomplish things. They loved him. He's a cool kid. They doted on him sometimes too much. But 
he was still picking up on the messages that the leader of the school was a white man, that none of his teachers were people of color, that, you know, even though his friends were people of color, they didn't celebrate people of color except one day of the year. And when they right. told the stories, was that someone white helped them be the people that they are? Like they, he was picking up on that messaging, even if they said nothing negative. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, I definitely think that that is something that doesn't cross a radar, you know, of my fellow white moms, the notion that when you go into your school, like whatever it is, like, I notice how many teachers of colors, color there are, right? I notice, like, what kind of images do they have on the wall in the classroom? Are there brown people represented in the books that they have to read? just in the little kindergarten library? Are they pulling out books? Do they have brown people in those books, right? You know, and like what kind of like movies and stuff are they showing the kids? What messages are those movies like telling them about, in my case, adopted kids and kids who have darker skin tones? Um, And I have a conversation every year with every teacher and every time they act like it is the first time any parent has ever asked them this. And I think it is because it is. But in December, I send an email and I say, I want to know what your curriculum is and how you talk about civil rights, Martin Luther King Jr. and what you're covering in Black History Month. And not necessarily because I'm going in, you know, trying to change everything. But I feel like as a parent, I need to know like what they're being taught to know if I need to come up behind that and either hopefully support a true message or explain it in a truer way. You know, like let's let mom, you know, and we have books and we talk about that kind of stuff at home. But like those are things that are different in motherhood. These are, you know, extra burdens that you have to try to navigate and do the best job you can for your kiddos to set them up for success when they leave your house. Yeah. And here's Emily. I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Okay, good. You didn't think that was going to happen. No, I'm Um, excited. So here's what I think too, is that I look for opportunities in curriculum to add a black face or a person of color to that space. So I, you know, I don't really care what they're going to teach in February because I know they have this late. I'm going to try to re- do whatever I have to do. But for example, if today, this week in science, we're talking about uh, blood. And I mean, we, you know, when they talked about um, uh, whatever it's called, you know, where you do the uh, blood typing. Ooh, my brain didn't do that. Sorry. Uh, when they do blood typing, you know, I'm going to look for an opportunity to insert a black voice there because there is a black voice within blood typing or, you know, maybe send a little email. Hey, have you seen this book? This is great. They talk about, you know, Carter G. Woodson or, you know, when we're talking about um, in, in history and civics, when we're talking about, um, urban planning, which I didn't even realize in our school district, they did a little mapping and you talk about urban planning a little bit. I was like, by the way, did you know that a black man made the stoplight? Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. know, and, and that's an opportunity to share, but that's not part of regular curriculum. Right. And so just like we talk about the people who play in our society and build us in this framework, there are people of color who are part of that, but they're excluded from that narrative until February. I mean, I appreciate you saying that. And it even gives me, you know, like, 
that's what I'm saying. Like the older she gets, like there's more and more levels and ways that I see that the differences exist. Yeah. And I, I see what you're saying. You know, you're exhausted because you have to think about all of these things too. Right. Plus you're worrying that, you know, well, my girls are kind of fighting a lot now. I'm seeing some, you know, hateful character, a little attitude. How are we going to start working on, you know, being kind to your sister? You know, like, like you said, building those character things that are just normal development stuff, you know, or Lord help my kindergartner says she has a crush on a boy. What am I supposed to do with that? You know, one of the things I think that is so difficult is that with the things that we have to consider as as a mom like who is I have to also navigate my emotions and and I hate to just say a mom but we're moms but my husband and I as well he he carries that burden too of navigating our own emotions about how society receives us So here I am trying to prepare these little people to be um, empowered and emboldened and proud of who they are and love, like we're, you know, loving their skin and loving their hair and loving um, the differences and inflection in their voice and how they communicate, but also dealing with how do I make sure I show up as an individual that's authentic too in my own adult life. So you're navigating the emotions of your strain and how to support them in theirs. Um, And I think that's so, I think it's a blessing and it's also difficult because I can say like, it's hard. I understand. Like you want to just be yourself and and children already want to fit in, right? They already want to feel accepted and and, um, welcome into their, their circles. And so that's a lot to navigate as we go into those adolescent and teenage years. Just, it's a lot. And one of the things that we we are blessed with a uh, a multicultural group of friends, um, but they laugh because I I am very black. Like I love being black. I love my skin, and I'm very aware that sometimes people perceive that as me not loving or appreciating them. But it's the exact opposite. I have come to learn and to love myself so much that I'm okay with you loving yourself. I'm okay with you loving the uniqueness of who you are and being empowered in that. Um, and so I don't want you to feel like your light has to be dimmed because I love myself and I'm going to teach my kids to feel the same. What I want you to do is my kid is going to walk up to your kid when they're having a good hair day or when they're looking fly and he's going to say, Hey, you look good today. I want your kids to also feel comfortable saying my kid's haircut is cute or cool. Cause boys don't say cute. You know, they could, if they want yeah. to, but you know, or cool. I, I want them to feel the same and I want them to not think that it's different or weird because of the texture of his hair. Or if he, for example, literally in Mansell ISD, if he wanted to grow dreadlocks like his mom, he couldn't because if they pass his shoulders it's outside of, you know, dress code. So that's a reality. And that is how his hair would grow out of his scalp. We follow, you know, like a more, you know, natural hair kind of regimen for the girls on the first day of school in their new class I always kind of make them wear their hair out because I want that to be the first way that the kids in the new class see them this is who they are this is it because I found that like if we have braids in or we did twists or we are doing ponytails or something then like a few days, you know, a couple of weeks later when we come in and they, they're all out in a twist out or we have our fro out, there is like a 
like a stunned shock, like there's a reaction in the class. Yeah, but it's like I'm trying to do whatever I can to help my girls like feel proud and good about their just selves the way God made you. And I think that I think the reality is, is that's the tough part is that we're often taught that in order to make people feel comfortable, we have to make adjustments so that they receive us correctly. Yeah, that's true. Right. And I, I think that is um that's trash. Like, I think it's so horrible that we have to be in a space where in order to make sure that this child feels comfortable and doesn't have to deal with the perceptions of what happened to our hair or like, you know, still, I actually had on earrings that I just took off that said, don't touch my hair. I was like, that might be too much. Um, (laughs) but I think we have a t-shirt that says that, (laughs) but the, the reality is that people's perception of us really isn't about us. And so with kids, we're trying to navigate how do we emotionally equip them to be able to deal with the perception. But I, my husband and I literally had a conversation last year about, I will not um, prepare, I will prepare them to be empowered and emboldened to be themselves. What I won't do is make them adjust themselves or carry down so that people will receive them well. Mm-hmm. You know, if my kid decides he doesn't want to make another pivot, if he decides he wants to wear his hair or however, we will do that. If, and, and, you know, and he has some tendency to want to conform, you know, because he wants to fit in. And I, I push back sometimes saying, yeah, no, we're not doing that. I have really struggled with knowing, like, how much do I try to protect her like that, you know, mm-hmm. and how much do I let her try to conform and how much do I push back? Like, that's really hard for me. I think it's hard for every parent, right? Try to figure out like, what's the sweet spot? I think one of the things that we do intentionally is expose them to people who excel that look like them. Mm -hmm. um, And then they decide what's cool. So like, we still deal with the struggle of conforming, but like, I see the difference in my son depending on who he is around and what's been poured into him. So for example, when Chadwick Bozeman, you know, rest in peace, um, had the little like half, you know, where it was kind of parted and he had like the sponge top, mm-hmm. you know, it was cool. Everybody was wearing it. My son usually kind of wore a low haircut, like a fade. And he was like, I'm gonna let my hair grow out, you know? And so it's about providing examples that exude the confidence and the power that you want your ch- children to, um, to, to take on so that they feel comfortable doing that themselves. So, and even that, and, and black women as adults struggle with their hair. They oh, struggle Lord. with being accepted. They struggle with, you know, their identity being tied and how will I be received if I'm natural? Um, thankfully I'm married to a man that literally loves and celebrated um, and actually cut my hair off the very first time. I was like, I think I want to go natural um, or return to natural. And I think, uh, but everyone, that's not their experience because we are so brainwashed with what is beautiful, what is acceptable, what is appropriate. So I think it's about finding that balance, allowing a hair journey is, you know, if you've seen, I don't know if you've seen good hair, like the documentary, Chris Rock and those kind of things, like the hair journey for a black woman is so emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. It is so layered. And so for them, this is just the first start of that journey. Um, but creating exposure to Mm -hmm. resources and tools and women, you know, that look like them, that celebrate that authentic voice and authentic self of, of their hair, 
If you want to wear your hair straight and relax, that's you. But what we're not going to do is wear it relaxed because you think how you came in this world and how your grass right. grows, how your hair grows out of your scalp is not beautiful. One of the things that's unique about the Black experience that I think is very different from other, uh, even people of color, is that our hair story is also tied to our oppression and mm-hmm. our place mm-hmm. in society. Um, and so we have to navigate it so delicately. I can't say enough about the beauty of exposure. Mm-hmm. Being exposed to the natural community for me as an adult, when I was contemplating what do I do, when I was feeling the tug like this, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, this isn't really who I am. It empowered me to see so many women boldly stepping into that space and still being mm-hmm. beautiful yeah. and being themselves and being confident. Because before all the power players or leaders that I saw had relaxed hair, right? So if every woman I see that I think is powerful have has relaxed hair, then I'm confused about what this means for me. So that means that I need to see the NDIREs of the world right. or the uh Layla Hathaway's or the Chrisette Michelle's, like different people who are bold enough to wear their natural hair um, and still be beautiful and be received and still be honestly still sex symbols. Yeah. Right. And so um, we have to just figure out how to navigate that tough space. Yeah. Like, Beth, can you believe that this is even such a, like a difficult layered conversation that we're just talking about a little girl's hair? You know, I mean... No, I mean, I can't, and I relate to it quite a bit, actually, having naturally curly hair, um, my hair and my identity were so tightly wound um, that just even in the last three or four years, learning to wear my hair naturally um, changed what I felt and thought about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I cannot, uh, while I can relate on a small level in that way as a woman, um, I cannot imagine adding on a social and historical element to that, um, what that journey must be like. So no, this, this conversation is not, um, not surprising to me, um, but very, well, and Beth, very it's- interesting. I'm glad you shared that, Beth, because that's true, like with the natural, like um, Naturally Curly is a website I'm sure you've been to before. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, a, uh, a a group just for curly haired people. It's not necessarily about race or anything like that. And that's something that that group, when I was exploring, like going, you know, returning to natural, that's something that I learned is that there were um, white people who struggled with, you know, wearing their hair curly because of what it meant, like. Yeah. You know, the perception that that it wasn't straight. So could it be linked to other things that are the perception that they were, you know, connected to people of color or had that lineage or that kind of thing? And I had no idea. I was I, I was completely blown away that that was kind of the context um, in earlier days as well. And so um, but it's also about respectability and what's acceptable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, it is it is that concept of if your hair is natural, your hair is wild. And having this look of wild and unkempt and, you know, and kind of embracing that, well, this is what my hair is, you know, and finding groups like that, even for me, it was like, there are other people that are embracing this and moving forward. And so um, I think that ties into what you're saying about exposure, you know, Mm -hmm. 
is that um, in order for for us to kind of change the script for our kids, um, just giving them that exposure of, look, there are people who are powerful and successful in these places that look like you, that, you know, that um, you can emulate and, um, and be inspired by. And um, yeah, I think, I think something that I noticed that when you start to talk about um, issues that black men and women and children face, there's like this discomfort of, I don't know how to celebrate our differences without being offensive. And so what would you say to, to women who are feeling that way in wanting to have these hard conversations and not really knowing how to navigate it? Um, so first I would say I applaud them for wanting to have the conversations. Um, I think that's a big start. Um, but also I think self-work is really important. Um, I think they're like, I tell people all the time, people ask me where to start. I love that people feel comfortable asking me questions. Um, but I'll be like, Hey, how about you read right? White fragility is a book. You know, I encourage people to read it. Um, because a lot of times the uncomfortableness with talking about race is because we won't, we won't acknowledge privilege or the layers that come with this sensitive topic. Um, if we fail to acknowledge that um, as a white woman, there is a privilege that I am born with um, that other people don't have um, and I benefit from. And I'm actually concerned that I may lose if there's some equality. Um, then we can't have a true conversation. If I, as a black woman with, you know, master's degrees and married and heterosexual don't acknowledge that there is some privilege that I have because I am married to a man and I am heterosexual and I have a master's degree. Like there is privilege that I have. If I fail to acknowledge my privilege, then I too, and that I benefit from some of my privilege, then I also am complicit in part of the problem as well. And so then it's difficult to have conversations about um, socioeconomic status and what that means where kids don't get adequate, equitable access to education um, within the same school district yeah. uh, or that I picked where I live based on the zip code and the, what school it feeds into and all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's a privilege that I have that some don't have. Yeah. So if we don't acknowledge that, then when sensitive topics come up, and difficult conversations, I will be uncomfortable because there's something I'm holding on to. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, but yeah. if the difficult conversations rise up, I can say, you know what, this really sucks because I don't know how to navigate this terrain because it's new, it's new, or I'm uncomfortable because I don't know what to say because I know that I've benefited from this problem. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. And so that's what makes difficult conversations hard and difficult. Because there are things that we partake in too. And if we're not honest that we do, we go nowhere. What are you most proud of as a mother? I think the fact that I get to raise uh, two little boys who are smart and they're kind and considerate and um, have the opportunity to encourage them to be their full selves um, and not stifle that and that they have the potential to impact our world. They have the potential to impact our society and the greater good of our community. Um, as a mom, 
that inspires me and that energizes me that like, it's almost like a superpower. Like I get the, like, and it also kind of scary too. Cause like you could break them. Right. But there's that, but, <laughs> but, but the reality that, um, they're good people, right? Like that they, they, they care, they're concerned about what's happening in our world and, um, and, and that they want to be part of, uh, of society and contribute. Um, and so I'm really proud that I, I get to help mold and shape, uh, people that'll help change our world. And that's really important to me. Like I can do all the work I want with, you know, my patients and with my clients and impact them and help them change their families and deal with difficult circumstances and process their issues. Um, but if I fail to help my little people be part of um, a greater good and help them be empowered to be their best selves, then I failed. And so I'm really proud that I get an opportunity to do that. As a mom of boys in our current social climate, and in our nation as a whole, historically, you know, what would you what would you say to them right now in in your hopes of who they will be? Yeah, I think we have uh, outside of being black boys, they're boys. And so I think I'd yeah. be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that we have a, the ability to help redefine what masculinity is in these little people. Um, because, you know, we get to tell them that being sensitive is just as masculine as being, um, the perception of being, you know, powerful and authoritative. Like I, we have the ability to teach them what it is to, uh, love all people and like the things that they like. And, um, and so I find joy in being able to let them flourish and working on what that looks like. Uh, for us, you know, to let them be them full, their full selves. But as a mom, I we do affirmations in our house um, because I just believe it's so powerful what you say to yourself. You don't know what you'll encounter into the day, but if you start your day reminding yourself of who you are um, and what you're capable of, that's just powerful. So we start our day with positive self-talk and we close our day with it. Um, and so it'd be much like that. Like, you know, you are capable, you are equipped, um, you're important, you're valued, you, you're needed. Um, and that if you aren't you, the world misses out on something. If you pivot, if you right. shape shift from what it is that you have been sent here to do um, and all that you are, then the world misses out on the gift that you are. So you got to show up and be all of you. And if that means, you know, you and, and my little boy is like me in a boy's body. He's very quick witted. Um, he, he talks a lot, my oldest son. And so I'm often trying to find the balance of channeling that energy to speak when it's appropriate. You got to find a filter, right. <laughs> No, maybe you shouldn't say that, but also knowing that that within him is leadership mm-hmm. and that voice is because there's something that he's been equipped with. So how do I not stifle it? Yeah. Right? Wisdom. He has some wisdom packed in there. Thank you for talking to us and accepting us for where we are um, in our flaws and ignorances. Well, thank you guys so much for the opportunity. It was fun um, to, to dive in. So I really appreciate it. As always, visit fwmoms.com to see the notes from this show, including links to products and content mentioned in this episode. And one more time, just in case you missed it, fwmoms.com Fort Worth Moms